0: Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle.
1: Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your
0: hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Well, I've got my radio voice ready for this month's podcast. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator.
1: And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our away-from-home studio, but in a slightly different location because we've moved from the Space Coast, opposite the NASA Space Center, to the Treasure Coast. This is the Treasure Coast? I'm not sure why. I'm guessing pirate treasure, but it needs to be Googled. And the Treasure Coast is located where? Uh, We are in the Jupiter, uh, Florida area. Florida.
0: Uh, we have been taking little side trips. As we mentioned last month, we've been doing the Hub and Spoke from Titusville. And that means that we take little side trips. And this month, we have gone to both the East Coast and the West Coast of Florida. For vastly For different by coastal. Whoa, travelers. This is the April 2021 RV Navigator Podcast, number 192. Brought to you by... Oh, nobody,
1: nobody. It's brought to you by us. We have really missed the boat here. (laughs) When we look back 15 years ago, when we started this podcast, we um, spent a lot of time explaining to people what what podcasts are, (laughs) where from what we read these days, podcasting has finally caught on big time to generate big bucks. And all of a sudden, people are able to make their livings, especially during the recent pandemic, many well known names who have had no other way to perform, all began podcasts, and we are getting a lot of competition. But we are still maintaining our superb fan base
0: fans, <laughs> well, listener base, I guess. <laughs> Although we do get a lot of very nice emails, we and do. we appreciate hearing we from do. you. And-,
1: and last month, when you had some lengthier technical difficulties, people right away assumed the worst. <laughs> assume the worst that I was dead. Or something. Oh, no. In these pandemic times. Um, yes, we had one email where she said, I
0: can't get the podcast, so I assume that it's no longer uh, going done. to be a, being done. We plan to do this for a while, longer.
1: Well, I- if possible, <laughs> we would like to warn you when we are going to stop doing this. That would be the way I would say it. But you never know.
0: <laughs> uh, a little bit of podcast uh, trivia here. The total number of podcasts is over 2 million which is unbelievable. They say that uh, of those two million that have been made, only thirty-seven point two nine percent are actually active, meaning that they've had a episode in the last ninety days.
1: Ninety days. People are mad at us because we only do it once a month. Yeah, but that
0: means well that the podcasts have not been updated. So uh-huh. there are millions of podcasts around, just, and of course, just sitting there. Yes. Yes, and, of course, millions of episodes within those podcasts. And, of course, if you are interested in more information about this and any of the topics that we talk about today, please visit the rvnavigator.com website for the episode 191 or is it 192? 192. <laughs> oh, boy. Age takes its toll here, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Nope, no champagne involved. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's right. Did you think
0: that... A year ago, all of the TV stations have been celebrating the first year, or the first time they announced that the COVID was...
1: Not celebrating.
0: Well, yeah, not...
1: Commemorating.
0: Commemorating,
1: yeah.
0: And here we are a year later, and we're actually looking at... Getting out and around. We've made numerous reservations this month. We'll be cruising, we we'll will be RVing, we will be ooh, doing we'll see all if sorts they pan
1: of things. There's still many variables, especially in the cruising field. Certainly, this state of Florida is very angry because. They say the CDC, now the CDC I just read, also oh. blames the transportation department um, has not green-lighted cruise ships yes. to be leaving from American ports and the vast economic damage that does here in Florida, and I understand that Lisa Murkowski in Alaska gave a big yes. speech about how much it has hurt that so. state as well. So all certainly is not rosy-looking yet in the cruising field, but we have aspirations that someday we will be able to do a podcast for you once again from the high And RVing, of course, is going to continue to be popular.
0: I have a study here that has revealed that RVers are now a whopping 11.2 million RVing households in America. That's 62% more than 20 years ago. Were we RVing 20 years ago? Yes. Oh, we were RVing 40 years
1: ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you call a small bee. Yeah,
0: bees are RVs. Okay. The, those of us who have been RVing all that time definitely have noticed that there is an increase in uh, in numbers. I'll take a wild guess and say that there are no more campsites today than there were in 2001. There are likely more RV parks, but hundreds, maybe thousands, or more public campgrounds have been closed. The new survey reveals that the age of today's RVers is roughly split between over 55s and younger than 55. The 18- to 34-year-old group now makes up 22% of the market. And there's a little something to chew on. An astonishing 9.6 million households
1: intend to buy an RV within the next five years certainly this trend was increased by the pandemic uh everybody recognized that this was a fairly safe way to travel when you wanted to socially distance now that the vaccine is being spread far and wide yes. um, hopefully that factor will be removed from the decision but certainly uh this lifestyle is appealing we certainly think so and a family sh- can enjoy it too i agree all sorts of folks can enjoy it and
0: our experience has been that it's not that crowded, but I—it's it, hard for us to judge.
1: I, I want to say one thing: we follow some uh, RV groups on Facebook, and people have been lamenting that our planful people who are trying to come to Florida next winter that they are not able to get reservations in state parks in Florida because they are immediately filled the day that the bookings open. My impression is that people who are Florida residents have first crack at the state really? parks. I, it's my impression because hmm. they pay the taxes here. Yeah, yeah, but how would they know? Um, but we have been able to enjoy a number of state parks, including the one we are currently staying in because people change their minds and reservations get cancelled so if at first you don't succeed try try again I guess
0: yes and I think the Florida State Parks are especially nice uh, the one we're staying in right now the John
1: Dickens, Dickinson State, state Park, Park
0: which is in Palm Coast we're about uh,
1: no it's in the Treasure Coast Bay where are we we're near Jupiter oh thank you <laughs> I just drive. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the wherever navigator. we are. <laughs> You're not the navigator, right? <laughs> uh, we're uh,
0: I would say a couple miles from the ocean. Yeah, inland um, and near the intercoastal. Uh, this is a very nice state park. We were surprised. We made the reservation here uh, less than a month and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, For three nights, I didn't really have any trouble as long as you're flexible in dates, which a lot of people want to plan it. You know, every day. Well, and when
1: you're a working person, you have to be.
0: Yeah. The nice thing about this park is is that it is definitely big rig friendly. Most of the RV parks that are part of the uh, Florida State Park system seem to be. I would say that we could fit into at least eighty percent of the sites here, and we're big. Yeah, and a lot of people talk about, wow, well, you can't go to a, a state park or a national park because your rig is too big. And not in Florida. We've now stayed in four oh, or five, five. This, yeah, this this winter, winter alone, uh-huh. and we have obviously gotten into all of them. We uh-huh. haven't had any real special access or anything.
1: Although the last one we well, were in, you kind of had to plow the earth as you backed into our site. Luckily, it was just soft, gentle vegetation. And then I had to take out a pair of kitchen shears to trim away from the door so we could get in and out of our rig. Um, the
0: vegetation is nice. I mean, it was a well, nice secluded site.
1: In Florida, it's jungly. That's what it's, you should expect. And,
0: and lots of foliage. And, and we couldn't get satellite. But that's the nature of the game.
1: And we've come to expect water and electricity in the state parks. And this one even has sewers, which was an extra added treat. So they are very nicely maintained. There's always a volunteer or two right. on duty. If you have questions, they're doing we some of the good, work, i We have very pressure. good things to
0: say about the, the state Florida parks in Illinois. Illinois. Well, I don't know, Illinois maybe, but uh, Florida. uh, They're reasonably priced. Their reservation system uh, seems to work very well. You don't have to pay extra to get into the park. Your camping fee takes care of that, unlike places like Michigan, Michigan. (gasps) which charge you a fee for the toad as well as for the RV on a daily basis. (laughs) I think she doesn't like that. It's interesting that, that Michigan, and, and of course their parks are are just water or maybe electric. and
1: uh, They're very nice. We used we, to like to camp well, in Michigan. Yeah, but I think the, the the state parks here in Florida are nicer. And it seems like, at least in our age group, that the choice seems to be between a state park or what I would call a resort, uh-huh. kind of like the park where we have spent most of the winter because we own the lot there and those can easily run you a hundred dollars a night which adds up pretty fast as we found out when we went over to fort myers we stayed
0: in a state park there by the name of korashim whoa she knew it wow
1: korashim like david korashim state park which is in fort
0: myers and once again very close to the ocean and a nice state park Uh, and also these state parks have a lot of sites uh this one did too and we were there to get our diamond shield removed, which we will speak about in a minute. But at the state park, uh, we were paying $28 a night for water and electric. And it we were able to get into, I would say, probably 75% of the sites there. They were a little bit more uh, overgrown. Enclosed. <laughs> so you definitely couldn't see your neighbor. But uh, they once again it was a very nice park on the west coast which we found to be dramatically more crowded
1: than the east coast. It's my impression that people from the midwest where we are from tend to go to the gulf side because it feels a little closer it probably is and people from the east coast tend to come to the Atlantic side but that's only part of the picture um, unless you get fairly fairly far south in the Atlantic side toward Miami uh, there are many places that are not so... Full of people, I guess yeah, is what I yeah. want to say. Traffic is really bad on the Gulf side, all up and down the coast. Uh, it's not that we're not used to traffic. We're from Chicago. We, yes. we know, we know <laughs> traffic. know um, do we ever. And certainly because there are more people there, the retail and shopping and maybe cultural activities, if, if it's not a COVID year, are better over there. But I really like the uh, wide-open quietness of the Atlantic side. I'm and you can go to the beach staying. for free. Yes,
0: which we found out uh, you don't get to do on the West Coast. All of the, the beach areas are Gulf, all controlled on yeah. the Gulf yeah. Coast. Yeah. Uh, the Gulf Coast maybe has warmer water for swimming. but
1: This time of year, not... probably, it warms up more quickly. Good water temperature is
0: 70 anyway. And I think the weather over there is about the same. Mm-hmm. So that's not really much of an issue. But we just like the, the Atlantic side, the, the East Coast, a little bit better. And if we're not near Miami, so we don't get into the Miami traffic, Miami's its own little enclave onto itself, Palm a big Beach, city. That's yeah. where
1: it's getting more busy on the Atlantic side, but that's pretty far south.
0: Both of them are expensive. I think you can find $100 a night RV parks no on, both, problem. on both sides. So we stayed uh, over there for a couple of nights. Uh, we enjoyed the shopping. Which is better on the the west coast. The distance was about uh, three and a half hours, close to 200 miles.
1: Well, we didn't come straight across. We came further south also. Yeah. yeah.
0: We had to go through Orlando, which is always a mess. But
1: (laughs) Orlando has some of the screwiest traffic around.
0: Anyway, uh, we were there to get our diamond shield removed. and
1: I think we talked about this yes. in a previous podcast where we had aspirations of doing this job once again ourselves. <laughs> and we actually bought all the materials that we, we used about, yes. last time to do this job. And then Ken discovered a man who had a company called Ugly, Ugly Shield. And his full-time profession is to remove the diamond shield from people's coaches, which keeps him busy. Day after day after day after day, it sounds like
0: Yes, they've done 75 this year. We were number seventy-five.
1: And while he used to have a, a, a sticks and bricks uh, place that he worked out of, he concluded that since this is a job best done in the fresh air, uh, they would he would have people come to campgrounds near where he lives anyway and do it outside and not pay rent for his business, which worked out well for him, but meant that we were spending a hundred dollars a night to stay in the campground. And of course, the campground camp says,
0: "Okay, it's it's not uh, noisy and it's not uh, obtrusive, uh, so that they can work." on the front of your RV and not really quietly. bother the neighbors. Yeah. And the campground I guess kind of enjoys that because if he's done 75 that's 150 nights of RV camping that, that have been paid for by his customers. So we went from a $28 a night campground in the state park which was treed and, you know, spacious and stuff to a $100 a night resort which had all sorts of sporting activities, you know, pickleball and tennis and and uh, bocce and all those things. So, Fishing. It was it was on a river, um, so that uh, it was a nice resort. But boy, the sites we're not used to camping quite as close, close together, together. Yeah. As, uh, I mean, it was nice being in that it had full hookups and Wi-Fi and a cement pad and the amenities you would expect. But it was expensive, and that's I think pretty much what you can expect during the high season. Our resort charges eighty dollars a night, which we think is a lot. That's you know the, maybe the that's difference Florida. between the east and the west coast. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, you can stay in Florida a little more inexpensively in the center of the state, but then you don't have ocean proximity, which is one of the reasons people come to Florida. Right.
0: So the good news is is that the diamond shield came off, and the paint underneath it is perfect. So if you're thinking about doing a diamond shield removal, and the problem with the diamond shield is, is that it becomes dull, and this is hard to believe, but mold starts to grow underneath it. And he told us that... You can tell what year diamond shield it is by the color of the (laughs) mole. You know it looks like the paint is being destroyed underneath it because the mold starts to kind of uh, discolor the paint and no it discolors the the, the diamond, diamond shield, shield but the but the paint underneath it is uh, in great shape so uh, although we did this the last time, uh, we now know ourselves. ourselves we now know the tricks on how to do this <laughs> and I would probably not hesitate to try it ourselves, although it did take three people the full day to do it They worked hard. They worked diligently all day, and they pretty much guaranteed that the paint would be in good shape when they... Removed it. So that was. uh, And it was. And it was, yeah, absolutely.
1: They also talked about the Dura Shield, which some companies are using now instead of Diamond Shield. And they said that was even worse in terms of uh, robustness and removal. And then they said the one they're using now is a micro something. Yeah, I don't know. I think the takeaway I got from this is if it's an option on your RV, don't bother. (laughs)
0: And he said they've taken off sixteen uh, 17s, and eighteens
1: so model year fairly new cultures. even though
0: ours is a twelve this still is whoa uh, hard to believe that such new one new ones would uh, need to be removed but uh, that's what he said, and the dura shield as opposed to diamond shield is a different product and not as high quality. <laughs> If you consider... uh, I mean, ours has been on 10 years.
1: It it just leaves us scratching our heads when we think that somebody paid $1,200 to have the Diamond Shield put on, and then we had to pay $1,200 to have the Diamond Shield taken off. Yeah,
0: and of course... It's crazy. It, it is a cosmetic thing in that it, it will continue to be there, and but it will continue to get worse in terms of the mold and the discoloration. So I don't know. I don't know if you You don't have to take it off, but it, it does look much better now that
1: it's off. And unless you plan on keeping your RV in a garage and never going anywhere, you're going to get nicks and dings all around your RV that's that's driving. Uh, there are stones and people
0: kick yeah, up but don't get. And- I don't find we get that kind of damage to the front end that you would f- find it necessary to put on a shield I don't know it's it's just like on the back I don't think the, the toad doesn't get you know people put shields in front of their toads especially when, when
1: they go to Alaska
0: and we just didn't find that to be necessary Our the front end of ours is, has no more stone necks than anybody else um, I understand that gassers because they're higher off the ground do throw up more stones but ours doesn't throw up stones hardly at all so we were there for the full day and we watched them they worked until 6 O'clock PM to uh, to remove it, and uh, when it was done, it looked good. And I learned a few things. Few here's some tips. Ooh ooh! If you are thinking of doing this uh, on your own, uh, he sells the fluid. It's called Ugly Juice. <laughs> so if you go to UglyShield.com, you can buy the juice and. I kind of got the impression that he was hoping just to get into the business of selling the juice. Because he was getting tired of of scraping. (laughs) Yeah, the guy is over 50 years old, so he was uh, tired of scraping. But uh, unlike when we did this, we tried to kind of take it off all in one operation. Uh, and you use a heat gun, but you use it under low so that it doesn't overheat things. But the way they did it was they removed the plastic film and then...
1: With a plastic scraper.
0: With a plastic scraper. right? They didn't need rubber gloves. A paint gloves. scraper, and he sharpened it regularly with with Sandpaper. sandpaper. So the the plastic scraper has to be sharp, and that's easy to do with the uh, sandpaper. And then you take off the plastic, the film itself, but leave the... Adhesive. Adhesive. And that's something we didn't do. We tried to take it all off as one big operation. And then he used his (laughs) ugly juice... Uh, and he said it was a combination of four chemicals. Secret ingredients. Yeah, well, that's, of course, the secret ingredients. Uh, he said it had citrus in it, and I know that it must have xylene in it because that's what we used last time. And xylene is the product which will dissolve the, the, the gum, the gunk, without uh, damaging the paint. So it must have xylene in it and probably a couple more things. I don't know. But And he said that he customizes it for the year of your RV, depending hmm. on what... <laughs> He mixes it in a A concoction, especially for you.
1: The man
0: was a good talker. <laughs> and a good salesman. Anyway, uh, customized juice for you, you yeah, and you can buy it by the gallon. I don't know. how. I, don't, I really don't know how much, much they used No, on this not movie? at all. They used it in spray bottles. Uh, so they took off the film and then took off the glue, and that worked out very well. And, and the it glue, was beautiful. And it was, yeah. Polished it up. He took a polisher at the end and buffed, buffed it down it. and put wax on it, and it is, uh, the paint is perfect. So we are very happy with that product. Project and can recommend them if you're in the Fort Myers area. We asked him if he was going to franchise it or <laughs> move outside. He said, I got so much business, there's just no reason to do that.
1: And again, for those of you who don't listen regularly, our coach is a 2012, and our Diamond Shield could have. People don't listen to us regularly? Could have stayed on our coach for another year or two. It wasn't terrible yet, but we had um, well, time and opportunity this year, which we may not have in the future.
0: It'll stay on forever. But right. we, we've seen them where the the, ours had not started cracking. That's what I'm saying. It yeah. wasn't
1: really awful looking yet.
0: Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't have noticed it. But when you ch- pointed out the the mold and stuff underneath it, it was I'm definitely there. And it's all gone now.
1: I'm saying that in case people have uh, coaches that look pretty good at the moment and are wondering when they're going to start having problems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And Tomorrow. I suspect that if you keep your coach yeah. under roof, um, it would last longer. Isn't some of it some Sunday? Well, we've,
0: we, we've seen some of the newer coaches. They seem to have a very nice shiny coat on them, which is impressive and good. And I hope that that yeah, that makes a difference. Ours has to be stored outside, so we are stuck with that uh, particular situation, and we just have to pay the price. I guess get it done when you can get it done. All right, hooking up your toad.
1: When you discovered this, this, it was an article and a video, I think, yes, was it, on the Internet, you kept laughing. I mean, I found it horrifying because my my job in the hooking up operation is to disconnect the engine uh, so oh. that we are towable. And clearly the person who owned this Jeep, which will no longer be driven ever again, did not know how to do that or forgot to do that. This, this it guy, just
0: gives me nightmares. This guy had a. 2020 Jeep. So almost, almost a brand new one. It was white. Sometimes your Watch mouth the video. your yeah, it's your mouth just drops with how things transpire here. I guess novice RVers. I don't know.
1: Well, one of the rules always is when you are hooking up, don't talk to anybody because it's very easy to get distracted and not do all the steps that are necessary in this operation. And whereas if you forgot to connect a chain to the outside of our towing apparatus, Mm -hmm. we would probably notice it. But if I didn't disengage the engine properly, there's nothing to see.
0: Well, the wheels wouldn't turn easily. And I would think you'd notice it we well, haven't but, actually had this you're happen, so... In the, you're
1: sitting in the front of your coach.
0: Yeah, but I can see the wheels.
1: I, I, I always so. look for I the wheels so. to be turning. I hope so. And I remember being in a caravan once where somebody forgot to do that, and they were parked they were, on soil, and it looked they like plowing, they were plowing the wheels weren't going around right, at all. Right. So. It was a very dramatic moment for me to um, understand what the problem was.
0: So we'll talk a little bit more about the details of hooking up your toad or what you need to do to do that in just a minute. But I, I looked at these pictures, and I, 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 I couldn't tell what I was looking at. you got to go to the website to look at this. I was looking at the pictures, and I said... Well, that's a very strange-looking engine. They had pictures from underneath. These The RVer had apparently taken the vehicle to, had to a the mechanic.
1: Vehicle, had the, because, ve- had because, the vehicle taken to a mechanic.
0: Yeah, towed to a mechanic because there was something wrong with it. It wouldn't go. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't go. And the mechanic, his mouth dropped also because the picture was from the underneath. They put the car up on a lift, apparently, and the, car, the picture was from underneath, facing up. Underneath the engine, and you could (laughs) (laughs) see—see, keep laughing. You could see the cylinder heads and the valves. Are you saying what I'm thinking? You're saying. (laughs) How could you possibly see from underneath the engine, looking up through the chassis? How could you see the cylinder heads and the valves? Well, there's, also, there's the crankshaft, there's the oil pan, the cylinders. They were all gone.
1: Vaporized.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine that? They were all gone. Apparently, what happened was the guy... This, of course, has a transfer case and a transmission, needless to say.
1: Not anymore. Not anymore.
0: <laughs> the guy had left the transfer case in low and had left the transmission in first gear and hadn't noticed that the car was sluggish and, and moving.
1: And then and he zippity-doo-dad 65 miles an hour s- down the road.
0: Oh. The mechanic did the calculations and calculated that at 60 miles an hour the engine was turning at 50,000 RPM. <laughs> Oh, this is sad. Turning at 50,000 RPM, the whole inside of the engine, of course, had been decimated. It peeled back the oil pan. The cylinders fell out on the ground. The crankshaft was sheared off. The transmission was totally shot. So my guess...
1: (laughs) I don't understand why it didn't catch on fire. Maybe the oil came out so fast. It just peeled it open right away. Well, the the engine itself
0: wouldn't catch on fire. mean, there's gas in there and oil in there. But the fuel injection wasn't on, so there was no fuel. Anyway, and the tires would be the things that would catch on fire. And I guess if they were rotating, the tires must have been going round. Yeah. Around. yeah. Anyway, my guess is is that he towed it about a half a mile, and the transmission gave up and just let the, the wheels turn on their own. And so he was able to tow it several hundred miles uh, with the wheels just spinning, and the, tr- and the engine, it must have been debris all over, the, all over the road. Anyway, this is not the way to tow your car.
1: But it looked fine from the outside. <laughs> it did. It looked like a rare new car. Can you fix that? you would need to
0: buy a new engine wouldn't you oh yeah and a, a new engine a lot of transmission and the, transmission yeah. and the transfer stuff. case and so uh yes. we do tow four down scary and that would have been solved if the guy had towed it in a trailer we prefer to tow four down because we don't want to have the trailer left over once we uh, get to our destination so how do you tow it correctly doesn't
1: it depend on the car?
0: Yes, it absolutely depends on the car. I push a button. She pushes a button, and how do you leave the transmission?
1: While I'm pushing the button, it's in neutral, and then I put it in park at the end. And why do you put it in park? That doesn't seem to make book sense said at to all. Do. <laughs> I do it like a recipe: step one, step two, step three.
0: I've had several people ask and say. What? You don't leave your transmission in neutral? And the answer is no. Under most situations... I think
1: I'm... Well, while I'm doing this, I have the engine on. I'm not sure if the engine would turn off if I didn't put it in park. Because I've forgotten and it just keeps running. Really? I think so.
0: But after that, you could put it into park. Most towing instructions would require that you put the transmission in park after you disconnect the wheels. And the reason why is because you don't want the transmission spinning without any lubrication. So by putting it in a park, the transmission is locked. And because we have a transfer case, we put that in neutral. That disconnects the wheels from the transmission, and everything will spin uh, freely, which is the advantage of a Jeep, by the way.
1: Also helpful to me, who knows nothing about any of this, is that on the dash I have a display which tells me that something has happened. So I always because watch ours for is, that
0: message. Ours is all electronic. Right? Now, when
1: I reverse the process to get it ready to drive once again after we've arrived in the campground, um, when it reengages it makes this big clunk. So it's kind of dramatically clunk. Yeah, letting me know normal? that that's what it always does. <laughs> Oh, I'm not part of this process because... Well, you're outside doing the chains. I, I'm
0: outside. We, you, we have a tow bar, which we connect up to it, and then we have safety chains, and we have a connection for the braking system and a connection for the lighting and electric system. So we have two cables that go to the car. We have the tow bar itself and then two chains and the two uh, umbilical cords. So that makes it, it, it... How long does it take us to, to hook up? Less than ten minutes. Less than oh, a lot less than ten minutes. I I would say five Five minutes minutes. or so to hook up, and we're ready to roll. And as long as you follow the correct procedure, (laughs) not have
1: and don't uh, have conversations with your fellow campers while you're doing this. That's That's very important. I can't emphasize that enough because you have to be very methodical. If you miss a step, you'll end up like this guy did with a see-through engine. (laughs) The, uh,
0: The the posting did not have any description of the RVer did not have his point of view or anything about what happened this was strictly from the point of view of the mechanic who, who got the car and his jaw dropped
1: protecting the identities of the guilty.
0: so you're probably thinking about de-winterizing your rv
1: you are you're not you are <laughs> hoping to come home late <laughs> enough so that you don't have to think about winterizing your rv but oh yes. am i gonna have to when no, are we coming I'm, home I, in another month
0: if things so will be our, back to normal in a month. We'll be our home. Our next
1: podcast will be from home. I forgot Probably. what home looks like. I, we have we've been, been gone, gone six yes. months. Unbelievable, even for us.
0: This has been a very unusual year, I guess, for everybody, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, we're anxious to get home to see the folks at home. Um, we haven't had that hugging experience yet because we haven't been home. But we have uh, gone out to dinner a few times. We have seen friends without masks. We With, have,
1: other, vac- with, with other vaccinated, vaccinated folks. And yeah. we're
0: glad to see that virtually everybody is going to be vaccinated. Our trips overseas, though, might be a, a big problem because yeah. they're having such a big problem. Well, because
1: we're doing well, but we snarfed up all the vaccine, and the rest of the world is not doing nearly as well. Ooh-wee. so That's how we roll. Yeah.
0: But we hope that there's not a spike as a result of uh, spring breakers and that sort of stuff. That's the other nice thing about uh, the East Coast, too, is is that uh, you don't get the, the big...
1: No, that's not true. Miami Beach, Lauderdale. Yeah, but, but,
0: but those are not... That's not the East Coast.
1: <laughs> it's on the Atlantic side of the peninsula. <laughs> yes, but
0: they're uh, places unto themselves. Anyway.
1: So we... finish talking about winterizing, or yeah, winterizing
0: Well, that's what I'm talking about here. Okay. This is your article. For dewinterizing, winterizing obviously you want to get rid of the antifreeze. But other than that, uh, what should you do when you're starting to think about RVing for the summer again? Wow.
1: You should check all your other systems for readiness and robustness. Just like we do at home when we uh, do the time
0: change, you need to check the batteries on your, uh,
1: smoke, on your smoke
0: detector and your... Your CO detector and whatever other detectors you have that use batteries, you need to, uh, to check them out to make sure that they're in good shape. It's bad when you're there and in the middle of the night the carbon monoxide detector starts to chirp because the battery goes bad.
1: Voice of experience here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, of course, you've
1: got that icky taste in your water tank from the antifreeze. So what do you do about that?
0: Well, I don't know about the icky taste, but you fill and sanitize it. And by sanitizing it, we mean put eight or so ounces of uh, liquid bleach Please, which into the tank. sounds like
1: the wrong thing to do. But yeah, it's...
0: we've talked about this before, but this is uh, something you just kind of do uh, perfunctorily every year as you start off. And we keep water in ours most of the time, so I don't really bother to sanitize it. Uh, it has water in it, so we just leave it. And I sanitize it uh, once or so a year when, I, when we empty it and refill it in the spring. Check your fire extinguisher. Uh, Most of them have a gauge or something that tells you whether it's pressurized. You never know when you're going to need it. We have three or four scattered around the motorhome. If they are powdered extinguishers.
1: They turn into rocks.
0: And you have to shake them and bang on it until you can feel the powder inside shaking.
1: Looser. Being loose, yeah. Yeah.
0: We learned that from Mac, the Mac, fire guy, yeah. when Martha that, did her test.
1: And that means, I guess, that every so often you might just have to buy a new fire extinguisher if you can't get it to shake anymore.
0: Yes. Important. Uh, and then open check your batteries. Make sure that they have water. Uh, use distilled water to fill your batteries. Ha, I did our golf cart the other day, and I put in a gallon and a quarter and six batteries. Ooh, Yeah, This is a problem. If your batteries are constantly getting low on water, that means they're being overcharged and you need to really pay attention to them. Different chargers have different uh, profiles and so they will charge at different rates. And if your batteries are constantly getting low on water, then you maybe need to check the charger to make sure it's in good shape. Golf carts are a different situation. (laughs) Um, In our motorhome, we have a three-stage charger, which sets when the batteries are nearly full and uh, basically turns itself off to just a basic trickle charge once the the batteries are full so that they do not uh, deteriorate, uh, lose water on a regular basis and of course now we have AGM so I don't even know whether it's losing water but, on the old ones, I knew that it, uh, that i I could go for six months without adding water. but I was very surprised my golf cart uh, took so much water, which means the charger is probably overcharging them, so i don 't leave it plugged in very much i charge up the batteries and then unplug the charger and that's made a big difference in terms of how much uh, water water
1: yeah
0: so this is a critical factor if you if you think your batteries are weak it may be because there's little water and the way you check is you open the uh the valve on the top look down and if you see the plates there's uh, not enough water. You need to fill it about a half inch above the plates and then uh, that's the amount of water that uh, is required. You need to keep it at that level. Check the electrical charge line from the tow vehicle to the trailer. Now this is something, of course, we don't have to do, but if you want your batteries to be charged by your alternator in your tow vehicle, it needs to have a line that goes to the battery batteries in the in the trailer. And that's an important thing because uh, if you're on the road and you want your batteries to be topped up, then you need to have that connection and you need to check that. You know, th- those connectors, those 7-pin connectors are always problematic and you want to make sure that that connection is good. The problem I've had with the connector um, just to the car is, that, <laughs> this is a surprise to me, is, is that the neutral goes bad and the ground Which seems counterintuitive because, of course, you're connecting with the tow bar. I'm connecting two metal to metal frame on the body, but I have had at least twice when the ground was sufficient. So I don't know why, but I've had to run a separate ground wire in order, which is the center pin connector, and make sure that it was grounded on both ends before the because obviously they won't charge or anything when that is not connected.
1: Check your tires, see how old they are. Look for damage on your tires. How
0: do you tell how old your tires are? There's
1: that secret code on the side. It tells you the year and week in that year that they were manufactured.
0: Could she go out and do that today? Probably not. (laughs) Uh, Yes, you need to check the tire. And how do you know how much air to put in? Check your manual. That's a good place to start, but the best way is to have your vehicle weighed so that you know how much weight is on each tire. Do not put in... Probably the full amount that's listed on the side of the tire. That's the maximum.
1: And I would assume that all the tires should be the same, which I understand is not the case either, uh, especially in a trailer.
0: On a trailer, they should all be the same, probably.
1: Doesn't it depend how the weight is distributed? In the You'd dealer?
0: want to keep the, the axles the same.
1: So I, I understood correctly.
0: The steer tires have different in the front and back on your car, but side to side they remain the same. But if you have a weight and the weight is substantially different, you want to switch the weight from one side to the other. That's the real way to do it. Okay. Too many technical details here, ladies and gentlemen. There
1: is a lot to think about. There is. And one thing that you forget to do can bring your trip to a screeching halt. As
0: we know, because we just had a screeching halt almost. You mean when I almost fell out the door? (laughs) Oh, you you know, no matter how hard we try,
1: there always is something going wrong. Something broken. It's like your full time. You fell out the front door. Well, I I opened the door and I stepped out, and it was like there was a major earthquake (laughs) because the stairs moved, and um, we weren't going anywhere. And they'd been stable for months, and I was quite dismayed, especially because I had a knife in my hand at the time. So now we find
0: out that the connector between the motor and the stairs on our motorhome, the, the, most of the time when you open the front door, the stairs come out and you step on them and you'll get in and out of your motorhome. And we have uh, four, four steps. So it's, it's quite a ways. So she comes out and the stairs are wobbly and they don't, uh, they're not firm at all. So I get under there to look and see what's going on, and I find the connector between the motor and the stairs is broken. It's actually sheared off. Hmm. Maybe because of the weight of the... Too much
1: coronavirus (laughs) weight gain, is that what you're saying?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes, that could potentially be the problem. But now, we were just about to leave on the trip that we are currently on, so we made a a rush trip to Walmart to get a two-stair step. And without the steps, I I wired the steps in so that they... Because they should be in while you're driving. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't get the motor to do what... well, it was disconnected. So th- even though the motor runs, it doesn't do anything to bring the steps in and out. It's a 30-inch step up to, the, in, to get into the motorhome. And unless you're fairly athletic, that's a, that's a tough thing to do.
1: Especially coming out. I think so, I would have to sit on the bottom step and then <laughs> scrooch off my buns. I wouldn't want to do that That might often. be good, though. For my buns? Yes.
0: Maybe. Anyway, uh, so we went to Walmart uh, on a Saturday night run and, and got a two-step ladder that is now what we use until we can get back and get it fixed. So what's that going to cost?
1: More than you expect.
0: And how long will it take?
1: Longer than you think. <laughs> it's probably caught in the Suez Canal right now, the part that we need. Oh,
0: <laughs> Suez Canal. We have been through the Suez Canal. Yes, and we it, have. And it is tight. Yes, and
1: easy I, to imagine getting stuck in there,
0: yeah, uh, very easy, and I can't imagine why it hasn't happened before. Okay, so we've got to finish these suggestions. Fill and check your propane tanks. How old are they? You know there's a certain age, and I don't know what it is. I don't we don't use propane anymore, so I don't really
1: know. Um, and I remember having to paint ours frequently because yeah. they would be rusty. They were yeah. kind of hanging out in the in, yeah. in the salt. But you need
0: those need to be checked. check your RV fridge, clean out the burner, meaning that uh, RV fridges make cold with heat, and on the back side on the outside, you will have a burner and that is prone to getting spiders and spider webs and stuff in it, so that you need to clean that out so that your fridge will do its job and there is a chimney if you look on the roof, there is a chimney where the hot air hot gases uh, leave the fridge, and that needs to be cleaned out also because it can't have any crap in there. If you have birds making nests in the in the duct on the top, then that could definitely cause a problem. Number nine, check the roof for leaks and caulk. Always a good idea. I get up there regularly to check out the caulk, and of course the only thing you use on the roof is dicor. You don't want to use anything like silicone. Because... It deteriorates the the roofing material, unless it's fiberglass. License plates, tags, are they up to date?
1: That's getting tricky this year when all the DMVs keep being closed. But, yeah, it's easy to forget that.
0: So we want to talk a little bit about technology, don't we? You do. I'll see if I can ask a dumb question
1: along the way here.
0: (laughs) Well, there are, some. I think, some interesting issues. Some people are unclear about what a smart TV is. What's your impression?
1: A smart TV comes preloaded with apps that you can use to like, stream stuff like Netflix. Yeah. Um, Built-in. So th- that are just there. Right. And you can access them from your remote control
0: that runs the TV. TVs are, if they have a computer built in and they have a TV operating system, a TV OS, then that would be considered to be a smart TV. You can turn most TVs into a smart TV by buying a Roku or a Fire Stick or an Apple TV or something and connecting that up to one of the HDMI ports. And that will essentially turn a TV into a a smart TV. So the best streaming service.
1: This has been a real conundrum. Uh, Certainly this year, as it was pretty impossible to access media out of your home, going to a movie theater, for example, um, there seem to be more and more streaming services or else I'm more aware of them because I'm looking for them. And I like to read reviews and then Go watch something that somebody recommended, and there are so many streaming services now. It's really you could spend
0: a bundle. You could. That's no question about it. And
1: it's confusing, and you need like a master file. I, I'm running five. Or no s-
0: real search. Five capability. or six different
1: lists now. When I read well, a you review, are List. when I read a review, I, I try to write down where I would stream that thing from, and um, there's so many of them now. It's really in a state of flux. I would think they're going to sort themselves out eventually.
0: We started with Paramount Plus. Uh, because I wanted to get some of the CBS stuff, but we canceled it right away. The year 2020 saw a deluge of pay TV subscribers sever their ties with their providers amid the coronavirus pandemic. Around 6 million households cut the cord last year, according to an estimated estimate from eMarketer. Without initiatives to keep households connected and return to life outside the home, And off the couch, cord cutting will accelerate in 2021. I think I'm going to just refer you to our website because I'm going to put a couple of links up there to cord cutting. If you are one of these people who's uh, going to be cutting the cord and you're interested in the latest services, you want to take a look at these links because uh, as RVers, um, cutting the cord is actually quite viable. And I don't know how much longer we're going to have DirecTV, but uh, for us, uh, this has been kind of an eye-opening experience. With uh, a decent uh, Wi-Fi and decent uh, cellular data, we can do a- quite a lot of streaming.
1: Well, that's because we're old dogs who are used to the medieval times when streaming was much less practical, and you had to rely a lot more on campground Wi-Fi, which was not reliable. Yes. So, now, Oh, yeah.
0: Now that we don't use campground yeah, wi Now that
1: you can bring your own streaming devices with you, and in many parts of the country, yeah. they work really well. Uh, that's a whole new ballgame. Yes, it is.
0: And if you're looking for uh, a data program for your cellular service, AT&T Business Try-and-Buy program offers 50 gigabytes of data, which is a moderate amount of data, for 30 days on a Moxie hotspot for free. AT&T Business is offering a Try-It-Before-You-Buy-It program, providing a free Moxie hotspot and data. The Try and Buy program offers 50 gigabytes of data over 30 days, whichever comes first. For free, a Moxie mobile hotspot is available and does not need to be returned, but is locked to AT&T for one year. This sounds like a pretty good deal, and I have the link to this on our webpage, too. You know, 50 gigabytes of data is a decent amount, um, and uh, that could provide you with the kind of service that you need to, especially if the first month is free, so you could give that a try. Earlier this week... Ford told 30,000 of its employees they could continue to work from home after the pandemic. Now, this is going to be very interesting for our RVers. The employment website Indeed.com reported that postings for jobs that mention remote work have more than doubled since the pandemic began. Such job postings are still increasing, even while vaccinations are accelerating and confirmed COVID cases are declining. The share of Indeed's job postings that mention remote work or remote work from home reached 7% last month, up from below 3% a year ago. But in some industries, the gains were far more dramatic, including those that haven't traditionally welcomed remote work. And of course, this could impact a lot of RVers because RVers could work from their RV and travel.
1: I think it'll also really impact urban areas because when we were in our working years, you tended to work near a bigger city because that's where the jobs were. And now that you can do your job anywhere, um, and many more rural parts of the country are really suffering population-wise, people have so many more choices about where they earn their living. So maybe it will cause Americans to disperse a bit more throughout the country, RVers in particular. And keep the
0: traffic down? Uh And
1: all the time people wasted commuting in their cars and the gas consumption. Uh, It could really turn out to be a blessing, but it's a major change in the way we live and work.
0: And I think we could actually work from this state park um, if we we wanted to. It's surprising that we seem to be quite remote, but the Wi-Fi connection through cellular data is actually quite good. And how do I know this? There are two parameters that you need to consider while you are looking at a data service, a cellular data service. One is the obvious, what the speed is, and generally considering 25 megabits to be about the minimum that you can use for your data connection and they go all the way up to a gigabit in our ethernet at home we have 100 megabit sometimes it goes up to 150 megabit a second and so that that takes care of the of the basic streaming and for your work environment the other factor to consider is the ping time if you use an app like speed test it will give you the ping time and the ping time is how long it takes a ping, a little piece of data to go round trip from you to the server and back. And that's measured in milliseconds. And if you have something that's less than 10 milliseconds, that's Considered to be very good and if it's in the hundreds that's probably not good and that's especially important for video if you have to do video work on zooms or whatever Um, most of our cellular data connections are pretty good they are in the 20 to 30 millisecond range which is is usable but you want to uh, definitely check that uh, as you are traveling because some spots will be much less than others and of course if you have much better Upload speeds, than download speeds with cellular data. That means that your connection is overloaded. There are too many people using it. And that could cause you slow ping times also. And many RV companies are actually thinking about making home offices or or RV offices in their RVs.
1: I'm thinking about why this hasn't happened before and I'm remembering how big the devices that we used to use were. (laughs) In particular I'm thinking about printers and copiers and even the computers themselves. It's so easy to do big amounts of work from a laptop. You very rarely have to print anything these days um, or you might scan it and turn it into a PDF. Um, Right. So you can make an office space in an RV that does not consume half the space of the RV. Well,
0: but I think they're dedicating some spaces to offices, and they're putting green screens in.
1: <laughs> For Zoom meetings? For Zoom
0: meetings. Well, everybody needs a green screen, don't no, they?
1: No, they don't. Especially if they can't get it back in the bag.
0: Who has that problem? You! Oh! <laughs> there she is, after me again. In our RV here, we the Mobile RV Navigator Podcast Central <laughs> Has its own dedicated space. we have a desktop computer, and for a two thousand and twelve model, this is kind of nice. We have a a keyboard tray, we have a printer space, space. Uh, in a cabinet underneath and for a printer, we have a scanner printer fax machine all in, all in one which works out quite well and we have a plenty of space for other gizmos and gadgets extra hard drives and that sort of stuff so i i've been very happy with our space that we have and i think it could be turned into a regular home office but a lot of rvs don't have this airstream has released a new rv with office space built in Welcome to the future of work-life balance. The pandemic of COVID-19 created a wave of remote workers, which is forecast to continue beyond the stay-at-home orders of 2020. With no rush to return to an office, this has opened the doors for many people to take their life on the road. And this article talks about how that happens. And there are actually several... Manufacturers who are thinking of doing this, and I have several links to this on the website. Now, we talked about Starlink and how that has worked. What's Starlink?
1: That's Elon Musk frequently shooting 60 <laughs> satellites at a time up into outer space to provide Wi-Fi service, Internet service, so, to, data service. to the entire globe. Wow.
0: And there, as I mentioned last month, I think they're offering it to New Zealand and Germany in the near future. This week, they're launched, they, they launch about two launches a month um, of 60 satellites each. So we're, we're well over 1,500 satellites now in orbit. And it's,
1: it's been a beautiful thing. Every time somebody comes to visit us in the Tyresville area, <laughs> we can take them to a launch because there's always one going up.
0: It is nice. It is. And I think there's one tomorrow or Wednesday. Anyway, the last day of the month. And anyway, the uh, the bottom line here is is that I talk about ping times. I talk about uh, bandwidth and how much you need to be a, a worker and how close you need to be the, to the cell towers and all of those things. But that may all just kind of melt away as, wow as these satellites become available. And they've made it clear that they're going to make it a mobile service in the not-too-distant future. So the service is costing $500 for the equipment and then $100 a month. And uh, that's, to me, quite reasonable for the kind of service. More than 100 megabits ping time is very reasonable.
1: And Elon needs to make a lot of the money back for all the spaceships that he's been shooting off. I keep thinking, ka-ching, ka-ching, every time I see one. Go yeah, by. but you're,
0: but you're talking about worldwide. Worldwide, yeah. and I mean the number of uh, people, the number of subscriptions. That once you get these satellites up, the number of subscriptions that you could have, and it's not going to get saturated the way the cell towers do here, because it's the cell, the the satellite moves, and it has a whole new group of people that it'll be serving. Anyway, um, it's going to be quite interesting to see how that uh, that develops. I wanted to talk a little bit about solar generators. What is that? It's a joke.
1: Oh.
0: I've talked about this a little bit before, but I found another article about this, that people are, are buying solar generators and then wondering why they don't generate electricity. <laughs> a solar generator is basically a battery that's hooked up to a solar panel. And it... it so it doesn't generate, it just stores. Bingo. And that's, the, so this is advertising hype? is that Very much advertising misleading. hype. Misleading. And they are fairly expensive. I mean, we're talking about uh, several hundred dollars in most cases, and it doesn't really generate any power unless it's hooked up to a solar panel, a portable solar panel, which takes days for it to recharge the battery. Why days? Your solar panel isn't big enough. Someone on the RV forum asked about using a solar generator and a sewing with a Singer featherweight sewing machine. It's 125 volts, 200 blah, 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 doable with a solar generator.
1: First, what is a solar generator? A few definitions are in order, and I didn't make up the marketing hype. So as Elton John used to say, don't shoot me, I'm only the piano player. Of course, we all know what a traditional portable generator is. There's some kind of gasoline or diesel engine with pistons. Yes, I could build one from scratch if given a machine shop, appropriate materials, and enough time. Its job is to spin some kind of wire and or magnets to create current and voltage. Some generators make three phases of DC. Yes, there is such a thing, while others make AC, alternating current. But as long as you put your gas or diesel in the tank, these portable generators will output 120 volts or 120-240 volts of AC for days at a time.
0: And that's important because it actually generates electricity. We were at Costco the other day, and there was a 2,000-watt inverter generator for $345. Buy it. And if you don't take advantage of that, as opposed to getting a... Solar generator, you're crazy because that little generator won't make much noise and it's very reasonably priced and it makes power for as long as you put gas in it.
1: And seemed very practical practical for anybody who's camping in something longer, bigger than a bee. Do
0: you need a generator? Yeah, at probably times. you at do. Times. And there's going to be times when you can take this little generator out, plug it in, charge up your batteries, and then you can use the batteries at your, as you need to. Um, but it will run your sewing machine or your refrigerator or whatever you have for a considerable amount of time, but probably not the, the air conditioning. Or the but hair heat. dryer. Or the hair dryer. It might run your hair dryer. Oh. Well, that about takes care of uh, the month, I think. What are we going to be doing after this month? Sitting at home. Well, oh,
1: af- no! After next month,
0: yeah. Well, after in May we will be home.
1: Our future plans include an exciting stop in Ca- Gaffney, oh, South that's right. Carolina. Oh, they're going
0: to get to hear all about our exciting stop in Gaffney to give our motorhome a physical. Some people don't know about Gaffney. That's the home of Freightliner, where you go to have your motorhome serviced on a yearly basis.
1: Or you or go fixed to or you go to Charlotte, Michigan for, for
0: Spartan. Spartan. But we are going to Gaffney, and from Gaffney we will be heading home.
1: Dodging the big the, trip, dodging the spring storms. Ooh, those rain that they've
0: been having has been terrible. Yes. spring storms. Yes. So, dear listener, uh, we do want to hear from you. We love to have uh, some emails, questions, we will suggestions. Be, we will be back next month. God willing. So if you are so inclined and you don't want to hear any ads, uh, tune in to us in um, May 1st, and you will hear the next edition of the RV Navigator podcast. You probably won't see us in a campground near you unless you're going to Gaffney or unless you just happen to be at uh, this park this month in the next few days. But we hope to see you in a campground near us in the not-too-distant future.
1: We've made it through COVID, maybe. Still had things to talk about in the RV world. Whoa. It's amazing. It's amazing. Thanks for listening. Happy travels. Stay healthy.